This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticamp. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. We've got a great episode for you today. I had a chance to catch up with Adam Kaufman from Free to Prowl. Now, if you uh, remember back during the summer, I had Adam on right before he was embarking on a trip to Alaska. His plan was to head up and work on a boat during the summer, Uh, catch and fish and also do a little bit of hunting while he was there and then he had all kinds of adventures planned for the fall his fall did not turn out quite like he expected but it was a really cool experience for him and so now that he was kind of back uh, home I guess you could say I wanted to catch up with him get a little bit of a rundown Uh, the guy almost died at one point trying to get his whitetail back across a river so hey you're gonna have to listen to the episode to hear how all of that went down but If you're not familiar with Adam already, you need to go follow him on Instagram, check out his YouTube channel and his website. I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Now, here we are in, gosh, I guess, what is this, the third week of January? Something like that? I don't know. But uh, we've got a lot of cool content coming up over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking uh, a little bit more ice fishing. We're actually going to be talking bow fishing. And uh, man, as spring rolls around, I'm going to be talking about turkeys a lot. Just got my um, notification in the mail the other day. I drew season A in zone two. So really, really looking forward to that. I love hunting turkeys that time of year. Now, before we get into the episode, I do need to say a big thanks to our partners. First of all, Tacticam. You guys know all about Tacticam already. Their 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras are kind of their flagship cameras right now. The 6.0 has a small touchscreen on it, which is incredible upgrade from the 5.0 cameras and the others that have come before it also has a new design so it's a little bit different doesn't just look like a small cylinder anymore but it still has lots of mounts and adapters to help you get that camera either on your rifle or on your bow or on hey if you're like me your shotgun looking forward to turkey season solo extreme has all that stuff too a little bit more of a budget-friendly option it just gives you hd footage as opposed to the 4k footage that comes from the 6.0 camera Both are fantastic options. Both are weatherproof. Both are going to leave you highly satisfied with the product. If you have any problems, give a call to Tacticam. I was talking to somebody the other day about how happy they are about Tacticam's customer service. That has been my experience as well. Anytime I've had an issue, uh, even just getting my trail cameras set up, just give a call to Tacticam's customer service, and they're super, super helpful. They want you to succeed with their products. You can go learn more at Tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. They have got an incredible sale right now. It's their winter clearance sale. Everything, basically, is somewhere between 20 and 50% off. Guys, I said 20 to 50% off. You need to go to their website, huntworthgear.com. Grab some of their heat boost gear. Grab some of their early season stuff. If you're looking towards turkeys like I am, grab some of their early season gear. It's going to be fantastic for turkey season this year. I was very, very pleased with all of my early season deer hunting gear this year. My plan is to use all of that for turkey season this year. And I'm going to keep running the tarn and pattern where I typically like to set up, you know, up against a tree or something like that for turkeys. Uh, that tarn and pattern, I think, is going to be great even into the spring. So go give them a look. Huntworth gear. And then finally, Onyx. Guys, this is that time of year for a lot of us. We are doing some winter scouting. We are uh, planning for turkey season. Maybe we're planning out-of-state hunts for next year. Well, the Onyx Hunt app makes all of that super, super simple. You can see where public lands are. You can see landowner information. So if you need to get access to a specific piece of property, you're going to find their contact information there where you can reach out. It's also really, really helpful to track where you have covered and where you haven't covered when you're shed hunting. You know, you cover a property, you're looking for a specific buck's antlers, you didn't find it. Well, just pull up your track on Onyx and it'll show you exactly where you haven't looked yet. 
Last thing for me, I know a lot of you guys might be thinking about doing some habitat improvement this year. The Onyx Hunt app goes with me everywhere I go for my property consultations that I'm doing down in Georgia. I'm constantly marking stuff in there, constantly taking pictures, constantly taking notes, and all of the info is stored in one place. So I know that when I get home, when it's time to draw up a plan for a client, all of my intel is right there in one place. You can go get a seven-day free trial right now. Just look them up on the app store of your choice, or you can go to their website, onyxmaps.com. Now with the commercials out of the way, let's jump into the episode talking about this incredible, crazy, awesome fall with Adam Kaufman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me this week for the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Adam Kaufman from Free to Prowl. Adam, how have you been doing since last time we talked, man? Josh, I've been doing good. Been been living the dream, having some adventures, exploring here to Alaska and back, so... Yeah, man, we were just talking, I think the last time I had you on the show was like late June, maybe early July, something like that. It's been a while, but like you've lived an entire life between then and now. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, yeah a lot I drove all the way to happened. Alaska and had a lot of fun and a uh, little bit of a uh, few hiccups, you know, but a lot to talk about. Yeah, man. Yeah, so you, like, was, uh, you slowly made your way back from Alaska, huh? I mean, you did, you like drove out and then kind of like... Yeah, Basically some over stuff the course popped of the up fall. in the interim. Um, I literally, I literally left in July and um, got back in December. That is nuts, so, man! Holy yeah. cow! So, well, all right. Before we get too far into this, I've, I feel like we've got to stop and say, okay, what is free to prowl, and you know what affords you this kind of lifestyle? Because guys are probably listening to this saying, how in the heck do you do that? Like, how do you manage to leave in July and come back in December? Like my family would fall apart. My house would fall apart. My job would definitely fire me. It would never happen. So how do you pull this off? Well, number one, um, I quit my job, not this August, the August before. Um, I set my truck up to live out of long-term and I, to sustain myself while I'm on the road, I do, I, I jam pack a bunch of carpentry work um, into a short amount of time. So I used to be a project manager in the marine construction industry. I have a bachelor's of science in construction management. So I, I've worked in the civil construction industry, but I just wanted to take a, take a step back and live a little differently. So uh, I'm a single man. Um, I quit my job, my full-time job. I'm, you know, part-time through carpentry and some videography and actually ended up guiding this year, ended up making some money doing being, being an elk guide. So I just kind of pick stuff up as needed and travel around when I can, um, on, you know, what, what money I, uh, what money I make doing a pound of nails and doing whatever in the meantime. So, man, where did, like, what was the big epiphany moment that you were like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Um, well, I, a big way it started is I, uh, I had a job with a big construction company that sent me out to California and, uh, I banked all my per diem and I slept in the back of a backseat of an F-150. Um, it's actually the same year F-150 I have right now. So I, I knew I could do it. And then what I did is I started using that same theory when I'd go up North to ice fish, uh, in the winter, to save money on a cabin, not have an Airbnb, be able to go up north every weekend. I literally lived in the very southern border of Wisconsin, and I'd be up in Lake Superior, you know, the north woods of Wisconsin. I'd be up there, and in order to make that feasible uh, and, and efficient, I just started sleeping in my truck in the back seat. And then I started teaching myself, or th- sorry, thinking that, man, I, I, sh- I can live out of this truck full time. You know, if I really do a few conversions, I can live out of this thing full time. And that was kind of the, the turning point. It took me about a year and a half, two years to really like build my truck out the way I wanted, test some stuff out and uh, finally pull the plug and uh, live life a little differently. So have you made any changes recently that have like upped your game a bit? I mean, I know you've been doing it for a while, so you've probably had it dialed in since before you left for Alaska. But any, any recent changes that, like, changed the game for you this fall? Not not really. I mean, the biggest one I added was uh, the ability to charge my auxiliary batteries off my alternator, which I think we talked about last time I was on. That was the biggest, biggest change because you're driving all the time or you can idle the truck if you need to charge your batteries. I do have... I do have one solar panel on the top of my truck, but it just won't 
wouldn't hold up because I have a full, so I tore out my back seat. I have a, um, I have like a cooking station behind my driver's seat. Plus like some camera gear. I keep in a portable box back there in the center of my truck in the back seat. There's actually a fridge freezer, high efficiency fridge freezer, which that's what allows me to live pretty efficiently. I pack a full of wild game. I cook on the road. I have a two burner stove, pots and pans, Dutch oven. I mean, I've got a full cooking setup. So that's probably my biggest energy suck is my fridge freezer. And, uh, I couldn't really keep up with it. Uh, with the solar panel without having to go back to town to, to charge it. So this allowing this uh, alternator charger really has, and, and I really feel bad. Like I feel foolish. I didn't add it in the beginning. Cause it was like a $60 upgrade running <laughs> some wires, you know? Yeah. Um, but literally that has allowed me to not have to plug in once this year. Wow. I mean, I was in the middle of the Yukon eating fresh elk steaks, you know, fresh out of the freezer elk steaks and not having to worry about my food going bad. Jeez, so, that is amazing. Yeah. So I, I've got to know one thing. My dad recently bought uh, an F-350. They're going to travel and, you know, haul a camper and all that good stuff. He got this giant gas tank for the ba- for the back of his truck. And the dude can go, I don't know, something crazy. It's like a 1,000 miles before he ever has to stop for gas. Have you done anything like that or you just have the standard... Uh, I just have the standard uh, and I actually, so when I originally bought my truck, I did not intend to do this. So I have the smallest six cylinder EcoBoost engine they put in an F-150, which is, it's a great engine. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I have my truck completely loaded down. You know, I have a lot more weight on it than that, probably that truck. And I have oversized tires and a little bit of a lift and, you know, a roof rack, everything that is going against fuel efficiency. So I have a standard tank and if I'm really babying it, I can probably get about 14 miles to the gallon. You're, you're about three mid 300 mile range. Okay. And I've found that to be plenty, even up in on the Alaska highway, middle of Canada, you know, the Yukon, Alaska, et cetera. You, you can get around that. Yeah. On 300 some miles. So. Yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yep. You, if you get, so I've got a Toyota Sequoia and it gets right around that 14 mark. So it's like, it's like right on the verge of what I consider doable. Like if it gets much worse than, than what I'm currently at, we're going to have to reconsider some things here. Yeah. Uh, Cause yeah. I can't stop that often. So uh, dude, let's, let's talk a little bit about free to prowl and what that is r- real quick before we get into talking about your fall. So, yeah, I started uh free to prowl just uh, as kind of a, project to teach myself how to do make YouTube videos, record my hunts, um, kind of do some of the social media stuff. And just, I wanted an, I wanted an Avenue to promote, you know, freedom outdoors. I'm a big Patriot. Um, I'm a big advocate for freedom. Uh, I obviously love our public lands. So I just wanted an Avenue to kind of promote that in a positive manner and teach people, you know, I'm, I'm a person who goes out there on a whim and be like, and who's like, I'm going to go figure this out. I'm going to go, you know, whether that's going to fish a new place or go hunt a new place. I, I like figuring it's stuff out and I'm trying to motivate people to do that. So yeah, it's free, free to pile is, is promoting our freedom um, outdoors, you know, to pursue what we want and, uh, and chase our animals and critters on our public lands, uh, public waters, et cetera. So um yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's a labor of love right now. <laughs> yeah, very good, man. So, all right, let's circle back now. Take me back to mid, getting into late summer. It's July. You're getting ready to pull out. Where's the? What's the first thing you do? So you, you leave. I'm I'm freaking out. You're freaking. <laughs> so yeah, how did that? How did the prep go? I mean, were you? Were you feeling pretty like prepared and ready or did you just feel like, Oh my, I've got so many loose ends. I haven't tied up, but I got to go now. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can get pretty much packed up to go in like a day. This, this was probably a two day pack up um, just to go through everything. Cause I knew I was planning for basically all of summer in Alaska fishing and hunting. Um, so I had to make sure I had everything, but I was freaking out. Honestly, I was uh, in the process of wrapping up a remodel job and I was literally working on that like 50 to 60 hours a week um, to try and get like some of the owner's deadlines done before I left because they knew I was going to be gone, but they had added some stuff to my project list. So I was literally working my tail off to get that stuff done. And 
trying to bank a bunch of money as well, because I knew I was going to be, you know, fuel was not cheap this summer. Um, I had a little bit of, uh, subsidies from fuel from the guy I was going to fish with to a little bit of sponsor money to get up there. But I knew I was going to spend a pretty penny plus fuel is not cheap in Canada. It's, it's more expensive. Right. Um, I, I was freaking out, but yeah, just literally once I, once I hit Montana and was about ready to cross the border, um, I was, I was full, full steam ahead, ready to rip, you know, there's no turning back and I was ready to, ready to go. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, how it started out a little bit of a, a little bit of a anxiety. Yeah. So what's the first, (laughs) or what's your destination town in Alaska that you're headed for first? I was headed to uh, the Kenai Peninsula, uh, the Kenai River, uh, Kenai, Alaska. Um, I was the reason I was going up there was because I had the opportunity to be a deckhand on a fishing boat for a captain that's a teacher in Wisconsin. And then when school's out in the summer, he goes to Alaska for like the last twenty years and uh, and commercially fishes salmon up there. So that was my that was my destination. A a slightly rundown trailer in a fish camp in Kenai, Alaska is what I was going to, which their fish camps are like deer camps. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. it's, it's a place to stay, um, running water, electricity, but I don't know. It's not, it's not anything too special, but it was an experience to say the least. So. Yeah. Some pretty, is that the spot that had like some pretty stellar views? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could walk to the end of our dock and literally you could, you'd pan across the Kenai river. Uh, all the fishing boats would be there. You'd have the cook inlet, which is right there. There's big mountain range, pretty close to there. Um, it's pretty epic. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. So you get there, this is your first experience with commercial fishing. Is that right? Yep. All right. So what, what, what was that like? Was it surprising? Was it, was it good work? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I really enjoyed it. The down, the, the really, the downfall was, uh, there is a political jostling going on between sport fishermen, which uh, that's what Alaska people call recreational fishermen and the commercial fishermen. And we only got to fish two days. What? Yeah. So I, I kind of had an idea that might happen going into it. Um, it's been like that the last couple of years. So the driving factor with that is, uh, the the king salmon numbers are declining and they can't really figure out why the fish that everybody that is sought after that we primarily eat in the u.s uh if it's a if it's an alaska salmon is sockeye salmon that's the big run um the sport fishermen or the guides constantly try to shut down the kenai um commercial fishing the set netters and they try and use the salmon or the king salmon population declining as a reason to shut it down but really they just want more fish up the river because it's the most popular fish river in alaska you know guides there's billions of dollars that come off that river as a you know a recreational fishing and guiding guided fishing so there's always this this battle right so we, we didn't technically didn't get to fish there. I got to fish with another guy um, down in Homer for fun. We fished a couple other spots, but yeah, I didn't really get to fish as much as I wanted to, but from the whatever, 15 to 20 hours I spent fishing, I loved it. It was awesome. Um, it's a cool way to make some money and experience, you know, and pay for that trip to Alaska. So I'm, I'm really trying to get on another fishing boat, um, hopefully with some better luck. Yeah, so, man. So how does that, I mean, that's got to be a significant impact on the commercial fishermen up there, especially guys who do it, you know, for part of the year, like, like this guy from Wisconsin, like, what is their perspective on this? Uh, they've been dealing with it for a long time. Um, you know, they constantly, I, I would say probably the last like 10 years, it's been this up and down, up and down, up and down. The, the frustrating part, I guess, as a, and I'm, I'm a small bystander, right, in this commercial fishing world, but I am a conservationist. I believe in conservation. I believe in the mentality of, you know, sustainably harvesting animals to keep them within their population limits, right? The whole goal that the DNR in Alaska, uh, or the fishing game as they call it, uh, they want to get like a million 
salmon up the river to the destination, right? To the lake that they spawn in. Cause sockeye salmon spawn in a, in a big lake. Basically they run up these rivers from the ocean, go to a big lake spawn there. And then the fry live there for two years. And then they come back down and go out to sea for three years. So that's a life cycle. Well, they had 1.4 million sockeye salmon up the river before the run was even done because they shut the set netters down. So is that a sustainably, is it going to sustain, is the population going to sustain? I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of a, they believe the carrying capacity for those fish is 700,000 to a million fish. Right. Um, now you're letting 1.4 million fish up there. Plus that's the frustrating part. Just looking at it as a conservation side of it. Right. Yeah. But you know, but they're, so all of that's happening, but they're also saying numbers are down. Yeah, numbers of saw of oh, king salmon. Of king salmon. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Not so, a sockeye. You know, I'm a, a very. I've learned what I did this year. I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but that was kind of the frustrating part. It's like, well, your your best line of defense for these sockeye salmon is the commercial fishing industry. Yeah. Um, now, some commercial. There's two different types of commercial fishing that go on in um, Alaska. There's set netters, so you're basically pinning your net to the bottom, right? You catch whatever comes into your net. Then there's drift netters. They are out on a boat and they just kind of have a big net behind their boat and they drift around and they catch the schools that are kind of staging to go up the river. Um, They still let the drift netters fish, but just Mm. the set netters weren't allowed to fish. So it's, it's a political jostle. Um, My, the guy I fished with was able to go to Bristol Bay before I got there. Um, he okay. fished in Bristol Bay. Bristol Bay had a record run this year and he ended up, um, he solidified his catch there okay. and he's thinking about transferring his permits there or buying permits there, I guess, which is going to be very expensive because they had a record season, but he wants to keep doing this. So that's why I'm kind of waiting to hear if I'm going to get on a boat next year, what I'm going to do. And I'm just still trying to get my foot in the door. Um, I would like, like I said, I'd like to keep doing this and paying for trips to Alaska for every summer, you know? Yeah. So, all right. You, you have two days of fishing. You were expecting probably a lot of hard work. What do you do with all of that spare time that you all of a sudden had? Well, we, we traveled down to Homer, Alaska. Like I said, this guy, he has, he's been going doing this forever. So he has friends and friends and friends everywhere. Um, so we jumped on a guy's boat that, um, he knows we, he took us out to the islands South of Homer, Alaska. We stayed at this, uh, our, a friend of his cabin that's off the grid. We did some tide pooling. I watched whales in the morning, drinking my cup of coffee, breach and jump out of the water right off the front of his, you know, basically his beachhead. Um, we toured, we, we had an awesome experience. Uh, we went ptarmigan hunting up in the mountains. Um, ptarmigan, if you don't know what they are, they're just a, a kind of like a, I like our rough grouse or sage grouse here in the, in the, uh, fifties, in the lower 58, but our lower 48, um, they live up in the mountains. They live like 5,000 or sorry, 3000 feet. Um, so you're up there in the mountains, you're hunting, uh, these, these birds. That was awesome. It was quite the experience. Great views. Um, I did some bear hunting, um, we ended up going to up to the Arctic circle, which was a trip we had planned and did some caribou hunting after the fishing season was done. But yeah, we just, we toured around, we caught our own salmon, um, had, had just, just an awesome summer. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle 
and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Tell me a little bit more about the caribou hunting, because that's something we talked a bit about bef- like the last time we spoke. And we talked about success rates and the ability to get a tag and the accessibility of some of that land. So tell me about your experience and kind of how it all went. It was one of the mentally more mentally challenging hunts I've been on, honestly. Really? Um, yes. You're, you're constantly wet and there's oh. not much opportunity to dry stuff out. Uh, thankfully these guys had been on this hunt before. So like one of the first things they told us to bring is we brought like five just lodgepole pines for, to make like a tarp shelter deal because you're staying in tents or you're sleeping out of the truck you don't really have a place to dry off or have a fire get out of the weather. If you're not sitting in your tent all day, we hunted off the hall road. Um, so you literally just drive all the way almost up to Prudhoe Bay, which is the farthest North North point on the hall road. And, um, you just park, there's pullouts, there's little parking spots, there's little campsites. Um, you just park wherever, wherever you can kind of find the action at. And, uh, we ended up parking in the same spot the whole time ended up finding some caribou right away early in the week. And we're constantly in caribou. The, the numbers kind of died off, but the, the, the hunt overall was awesome. Um, like I said, it was probably mentally challenging because you're wet all the time, because if you're, if anybody's familiar with the tundra, um, there's no, there's no cover, right? Uh, your most of your cover, if you're hunting next to the pipeline, that's, I mean, a lot of guys kill caribou right off the pipeline. Uh, if you're not familiar with the hall road, the hall road services, the Alaska pipeline. So the pipeline is right there. Um, you, you can use that for cover, but the caribou kind of, they're pretty educated. Uh, so you're going to commit to getting on in your hands and knees and stalking in on these caribou using the very little bit of terrain features that you have. Um, I got pretty close, honestly. Uh, I was within 80, 90 yards of some nice bulls. Missed all three opportunities because those, that's as close as I could get. And I wouldn't say I'd normally impress a person to, you know, fling arrows like that. But to be honest, like, that's as close as you could get in certain situations. Yeah. Um, tried to use, like, a moose decoy on the front of the uh, the bull. Um we couldn't find the caribou ones at the time, but they make some like decoys that you can shoot through that didn't really work. We kind of sat and hunkered down by a rock. We constantly saw them transitioning by did kind of the tree stand ambush setup. Um, that didn't work. Uh, it was primarily just stalk in and, uh, get on your hands and knees and, and, and the last couple yards, maybe go on your belly, um, and get wet. (laughs) So are these tags weapon specific? No, they're not. You can use whatever ta- whatever weapon you want. The only issue is um, bow or rifle. Bow you can hunt right off the road. Literally, your feet are in the ditch. You can you can you know you can shoot one right there. Uh, some guys do that. Um, if you're going to go rifle because the pipeline's there, and they obviously don't want a lot of people shooting like across the roads and stuff or around the roads, because that's constantly where these caribou are migrating. You have to be five miles off the hall road to shoot one with a rifle. What five yeah. dude, that's a commitment. Yeah. And in five miles, it's not super rugged. Like you're not in the mountains. Right. But walking on the tussocks on the tundra is a, it's it's a bugger man it's not easy you think it looks easy and you get out there and you work hard to get those five miles off yeah so what are we talking as far as amount of time it would take you to even cover that five miles um i mean you could probably do it with an average like hiking pace right even if you're in the mountains like two to three miles an hour um so you know maybe two hours for the average person um but it's just it's it it wears on you You, you're gonna feel it later that day or the next day, because you're, you're constantly trying to balance yourself and you're rolling your ankles and it, it wears on you. So you move a lot slower after day two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you get out there, like, let's say you go five miles in, can you camp out there or do you have to come back? You can camp. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. 
Yeah, what was cool is the captain I was with, he brought his boy up who's 12 years old, and they did the five-mile trip off like two or three times, camped uh, twice out there. Like his son was just a trooper. Like it was pretty cool. Dude, you know, incredible. Yeah, so, and they they had some opportunities within like four or 500 yards, which just couldn't close that distance. You know, I, like I said, he's a 12-year-old, but we had we had five guys up there none of us punched a tag. I was the only one to get shots with my bow. Um, it was, it was challenging. I think I've learned a lot from, from that experience and just being up there. I definitely will go back and do it again. Uh, there's a few things I'd probably change, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Tell me about the pressure. Like, was it, I mean, because I've heard of the hall road and I know almost nothing about hunting in Alaska. So, I mean, was it, were there a lot of guys out there where you having to compete? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of guys. I mean, not compete. Like everybody's pretty courteous. Like if you, if they saw you going after one, um, they would move on. It depends how you want to hunt. Like you can literally drive up and down the hall road all day and okay. just, you see caribou, you see a herd coming towards the road. You pick a little knoll or spot. You can make a creep on them. Or you see like a bull out there by himself just wandering around. You can make a move on him. We did that a couple times. Um, but a lot of the times um, there's a spot, there's certain spots they want to cross. We found this, this spot where there's like a river valley and like two little kind of like, one was kind of a big knob. The other one was um, a, just kind of like a, a, a swale basically, but they wanted to cross in this area. So we just kind of, we hunted that same area most of the time. First day we kind of had a little pressure after we kind of called it ourselves. Like guys just kind of left us alone. Like we would just get there, we'd find them in the morning and then we just go, go push in in that area and just kind of hold it to ourselves. Um, I didn't go five miles off because I wanted to shoot one with the bow. That was my commitment. Um, but I, I, Maybe I should have. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of one of those hindsight things, right? And I think if you went out there for the experience of getting one with your bow, then, man, don't settle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now, I grew up watching caribou take the flop to a well-placed bullet uh, on the Outdoor Channel and thinking, man, that's what I want to do. But... um yeah, I mean, if, if, if archery is kind of what you've had your heart set on, then, you know, make that happen. But, all right, so you, you wrap up your time in Alaska. When did you leave and start heading back? Um, I was – so our hunt, I got there mid-July. Our archery hunt was early – well, mid-August. I think it was, like, beginning of September by the time I made it home. I, I ended up kind of taking a little – I don't know, a week, uh, hang out with a friend up there. And we kind of, me and her just traveled around and did some more of the touristy stuff, saw some more places. But um, yeah, it was beginning of September. I think I started headed home. Nice. And did you make it all the way back and then head back out West or did you stop out West and. I ended up stopping out West. Okay. Uh, the whole point was I beginning of um, beginning of, well, middle of October, I had a tag in Idaho. I, a mule deer tag or a whitetail tag, you could use it on either or, but I had a general season um, Idaho deer tag. So the goal was to be out there. I had a friend who lives in Butte, Montana, who owns a cabinet shop. So my goal was to work for him for a few weeks, build up my, my bank account again, make some more gas money, and then he only lives where I hunt. He only lives about four hours from where I hunt in Idaho. So the whole goal was to go over there and scout on weekends and then come back and work for him. Um, that didn't end up happening. I only worked for him for a few days. And then um, I got a call that a place my um, buddy had hunted um, in uh, through a guiding service in Montana needed, uh, an emergency guide for two weeks of archery season. So I got a call, uh, literally got a call at nine 30 in the morning. And I was, I had to be with a client on the property by three 30 that afternoon. What? So like <laughs> yeah. zero. Yeah. I literally Holy scrambled God. across Montana, stopped at, uh, I didn't bring my bugle tube. I didn't have an elk hunt, elk hunt planned. I didn't have any reeds. I literally stopped at, uh, 
Sportsman's Warehouse, grabbed a bugle tube, grabbed some reeds, and yeah, made it over there and shook the client's hand and took a little like 45 minute drive with the the camp manager and we were hunting that evening. <laughs> wow. So all right. What's your elk hunting experience like up to this point? Like, do you have uh, a ton of it? So I, <laughs> I've hunted what would equate to a few years of elk hunting experience, but I only hunted last year, but I put 45 days in trying to kill my elk in that same area of Montana. Literally like I'm looking at areas I've hunted off the front porch of this place. So okay. I had some knowledge in that area. Um, I can tell you, I had only called in one spike bull before that. Um, got some long range responses from bugles, but yeah, I was pretty, and I admitted that to the camp manager. Uh, he's like, well, he goes 45 days. That equates to about five years for most elk hunters. So he goes, you're in. Um, and to be honest, first week, my, one of my clients got a, got a shot and ended up missing a, you know, like small five by five raghorn, um, at like 50 yards. Um, and my other client ended up getting right in front of a bull, like 60 yards away, but he just wasn't comfortable making that shot. So, and ended up calling in, uh, some more bulls that, uh, we had some encounters with too. So I, I learned on the fly for sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's not, I mean, it sounds like you were able to make it happen as far as, you know, reasonable and reasonably successful at getting encounters. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was pretty proud of myself just getting my feet wet. Um, I think that I can, I can, um, equate that to my constant desire. Like I'm a hunter, I'm a hunter. I'll go out there and try and figure stuff out. Right. I, I, I am not afraid to try new things. I'm not afraid to fail. And I think I talked about that in my last, our last podcast, right? Like I, this was another hunting opportunity that I wanted to experience and I might fail and I might me and this, this client may not have a positive experience, but I was willing to try. Right. And I think that's my biggest, my biggest advice to anybody, whether you want to do, you know, a new fishing trip or chase a new species or go out West or go to Alaska, just get out there and try. You might fail, but if you're willing to try, things are going to more than likely things are going to happen. Yeah. And guiding for elk wasn't the only guiding you did, right? Uh, well, it was elk and deer. So I ended up, I ended up doing the two weeks of archery season. And then we, I had my own tag in Idaho. So now we're in middle of October. Um, haven't really been able to scout. So I went to Idaho. I hunted for 14 days for mule deer, ended up shooting a whitetail on the last day. Um, there's a story that goes with that (laughs) and, um, came back and guided, uh, four more weeks for rifle season. Okay. And you uh, had they, a, they ended up calling me back. So you had a ton of success. It looked like in rifle season. Yeah. We, we shot some, some really nice white tails, few mule deers, uh, or mule deer. And, uh, yeah, some good elk too. Um, it was, I would say rifle guiding rifle season is fun. Cause there's, it, it there's a lot of action. Yeah. Um, but you still got to work hard for them. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I'm still, I still think I enjoy the, the archery season better as far as the elk, elk hunting goes, you know, just that interaction and being up close and personal with them. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. Tell me a little bit about kind of your response. Like, I mean, man, if I was in your con- like in your life situation, like I got a wife and three little kids and, you know, like I left for two weeks for a rut hunt and, dude, it was like, really difficult right? Like just to make that trip happen. But, but if I'm in your shoes and I can go guide, or if there was somewhere around here, that's like, Hey Josh, we'd like you to be a professional guide. Like I would be all over that. It sounds amazing. Now that you've been on that side of the table, what are your thoughts on it? Was it, was it everything that, that the average guy thinks it's cracked up to be, or, or are there some things that make you think like, ah, I don't know if that's for me. Oh, uh, there's, 
Yeah, there's definitely some things I I don't like about it. Um, you know, I'm I'm a hunter, and I like a challenge. And some clients just want to kill, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. And that's just not my that's not my deal. Like yeah. we're gonna hunt hard. We're gonna go do this. Uh, we had some. We had. I would say out of six weeks, only one week of clients was absolutely just people I would not ever talk to again, you know? Um, it was, it was challenging. Like they expected punch tags. They expected, uh, everything and anything yet. Not very good hunters themselves. You oh know? man. Okay. You know, I'm going to tell you just because you're going on a guided hunt doesn't guarantee anything. Um, you're still hunting. We're all still hunting, you know, I mean, things change, weather, whatever you're, it's still a hunt. And the best, the guys I had the most fun with were the guys that had that same mentality, you know, and most of the time we we're still able to find success for them. Um, but they knew we were hunting and they were having fun and we were having fun and it was, it was awesome. Yeah. So Working with people, right? Like that's the part that kind of brings it back to, well, it's not all sunshine and rainbows when you're, uh, when you're guiding. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that's one reason, one reason I really like the archery season. Um, what little experience I did have there. You're when it gets later into that, that rifle season, especially in Montana, I think by the end of it, those elk have probably been chased for, if you, if you, if you can negate the cow hunts, um, which is their version of an antlerless hunt, right? If you negate the cow hunts, those elk have been hunted for like 12 weeks by the end of it, wow. right? And late season elk group up, herd up, right? And you're literally chasing around 200 elk. Wow, okay. 200 elk, right? And you're seeing like all these big, beautiful bulls you have seen at the beginning of the year. You're down, to, you don't see them anymore. They're either dead or they ran away and they're up in the mountains, they're hiding. But it's it's kind of like shooting a fish in a barrel. If if you can get in front of those 200 elk, you're going to get a shot, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's just, to me, it's not as enjoyable as chasing them um, on the archery side. So I, I think I would definitely go towards the archery side. I think those hunters are, no offense to rifle hunters, but they just, they want to work hard. They want to hunt. They know the challenges. They're, you know, they they're in it for the challenge as much as they are for, you know, potentially putting a trophy on the wall. Yeah. They expect it. Like they expect it to be difficult. Yes. And guys with a rifle in their hand may not come in with that kind of expectation. They think, man, I got this high powered weapon and I can see the elk. Therefore, especially if they're Eastern guys, right? If I can see it, I can shoot it. Like that's because there's, there's no such thing as something being outside of your range when you hunt East of the Mississippi a lot exactly. of, the, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the yeah. times, like how many places do you know where you can get a true five or 600 yard shot east of the Mississippi? Not, yeah. not a lot of them. Right. So, yeah. you know, that whole, yeah, it, it seems like it should be easy, but like you said, still got to work. And an, another thing you I saw too, which was very kind of frustrating as well. Once the rifle hunters came, we started seeing guys who flew Whoa. and then, yeah, so they flew, right? They flew from all over the place. And then they they didn't bring any coolers. They didn't have any plan for meat. All they wanted oh. all they wanted was an animal, and they'd ask you, well, we're going to donate it. Well, that just kind of chaps my, chaps my rear end, right, yeah. as it would for most hunters. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I understand that. I understand there's certain scenarios where that will might happen. I mean, I'm, I live in that scenario where every time if I go on a caribou hunt or an elk hunt and I'm living out of my truck, there is a chance that I might have to donate some meat, but I will tell you, I carry around a Canyon cooler. That's huge that I have to pull out of my truck every time to go to sleep in the back because I'm anticipating bringing home some meat. Yeah. Um, it's just, that's just tough. Um, and it, it, I will tell you in, uh, as from a guide standpoint too, like there's, if, if somebody tells me they're not bringing home any meat, there's no, like, this is a last day animal. 
because you're not just going to punch a tag to bring horns home, right? On a little, you know, a two-year-old buck or a spike bull just to bring those horns home if you're not going to take the meat. That's totally different. That mentality is totally different. If you're going to, if you're going to eat it, I don't care. You know, yeah. If you want to put your $1,200 tag on a, on a spike because you want to eat it, go ahead. Right. Yep. You know, so guys got to think about that. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are vast majority of people that we saw um, that I've experienced and hunters in general, they want to eat, eat their, eat their meat. Right. Yep. Yep. So, so, all right, let's, that, that wraps up kind of your guiding experience. I want to go back to the middle of October <laughs> when you are hunting in Idaho with your own tag, not guiding somebody. It's an either species tag, right? General season. Um, what are the, what are your hunt dates first of all, and what are the deer kind of doing that time of year out in Idaho? Uh, so this was, I think it, I think that hunt started this year, like October twelfth, maybe. Um, it's always that middle of October Saturday, um, and then goes no, sorry Monday, and then goes for fourteen days. Um, so typically, what those deer are doing early or mid. October to late October is they're, they're gearing up, especially mule deer are gearing up for the rut, but they don't typically rut until November 14th, November 10th, you know, they're later than whitetails. Okay. Um, and there's not like, there's not a lot of seasons where you actually get to hunt mule deer during the rut because of that real late rut, right? A lot of those seasons are early. Idaho's that way. But I like Idaho because I cut my teeth in Idaho. That's where I went on my first backcountry hunt. That's where I went on my second backcountry hunt. And I just, I have an affinity for it. Um, so typically those deer are real high or and trying to come down, right? They want to come down into uh, that lower elevation, start chasing those does around, or at least kind of start looking for them. Um, sometimes you'll find them bedded, uh, right near those does on real good burn areas. Um, typically I'm looking for a good burn area with regrowth. This could be a two or three year old burn, uh, as early as that. Uh, but I want good regrowth. I want good green brush on it. I want a variety of, you know, low shrubs, uh, middle, like of the road, uh, mid-sized brush because those deer are going to browse in there and they're going to bed in there. They're going to totally disappear. But once they get up to feed, they will come out of the woodwork. Um, so typically you're trying to look for them in those areas. I did that. I tried that. We were pushing 85 degrees and mid to end of October, right? I'm going through three liters of water in a day. Um, have the ability to carry five liters on me. And then towards the end of my hunt, I'm, I'm trying to be in the back country. I'm, I was actually um, in, in the Frank church area. Um, this is the first time I had been in the Frank church, but I'd been in the Frank church and I, I broke one of my bladders. I now only have the ability to carry three liters of water on me and I'm sweating and it just was miserable and I'm not finding, I'm not finding a lot of bucks. Um, so I ended up pulling out of the back country after two different spots, um, on day, like, I don't know, I think it was day eight or nine. Then I ended up going more towards town and kind of regrouping and kind of glassing and, uh, glassing from the truck and being mobile. But I ended up, on the last day of my hunt, I ended up finding a whitetail, um, and I had to be back to guide in central Montana, um, the, like in two days. So, um, I ended up glassing this whitetail from the road, real nice eight pointer, um, beautiful, uh, Idaho whitetail for sure. He's probably like, he's, he's 125 inch eight pointer. He's, he's really nice. Um, ended up finding him bedding next to a river. So, the whitetails in out West, they don't typically stray too far from that brush that um, typically it's river bottoms or creek bottoms. That's where you're going to find your big timber in your brush. So they don't stray too far from there. So I knew this guy, he was going to bed at about eight thirty nine in the morning, right? There's a, um, there's a river right there. And I knew he was going to probably bed in some area, some adjacent area because the rest of it was literally just sagebrush. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my stuff ready. I'm going to, you know, go download this area on Onyx because I didn't have it. I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'm going to slip in there about 
noon and just wait for them. Um, so the challenging part is there's a pretty ripping river that you got to cross in order to get from any public access. And there's not really a legal public access here. You're just parking on the side of the road and jumping in the river, crossing the river and getting onto um, block management or sorry, Bureau of land management, BLM land or national forest land. So I end up, uh, I had waders with me. So I brought my waders, I ended up crossing the river. It, it was, it was pretty strong on the way across, but I made her and like had my backpack, had my rifle, had my boots slung over. Like I had some weight on my, pe- on my back. Um, I get across the river. We're good. I climb up to the, the vantage point where I th- knew I could see uh, where he was, where he would potentially be. And I can't find him. Uh, no, I can't see him whatsoever. And I end up just posting up and about two hours later, he, he decides to pop out 150 yards right on cue. It was like three o'clock. He was getting up to stretch his legs, move, go to get a drink of water. I don't know. Um, 150 yards. And I missed him three foot over his back. Oh <laughs> no. What happened? Did you just pull the shot? Or? No. So two years ago, uh, I have, um, I fell on my scope two years ago and I ended up crushing my top turret. Um, I ended up sending it in um, after that season to Vortex. They ended up getting all fixed, but my my top turret was like, it was canted, like significantly canted, like it was busted. So they ended up doing the repairs, sent it back to me. Thank thank the Lord for the VIP warranty, right? Yep. I love Vortex. Yep. Um, but after that, I noticed that for whatever reason, I don't know if something didn't seed, but the actual turret would like, loosen up after some vibration and back out so before this hunt the uh gun was uncased in my passenger seat uh and i I looked down towards the floorboard and i could see that it was i could start seeing some of that that machined metal like it was backing out oh yeah i was like i don't have any like i don't have a place to shoot this like i'm going in this is this this last day is to hunt right so i just kind of tightened it and like all right. Well, I paid the price. Um, that's why I missed, I'm sure, because that thing was oh. off after it reseeded itself or did whatever. I don't know how scopes work, right? But um, he, so I was really mad. He ended up running around this rock outcropping, and I ended up, I was going to go over there. Like, I had all my gear. I had my camera. I had my GoPro. I'm getting all my gear ready. I'm about to go to the other side of this rock outcropping where he had uh, came from and back where he had went. And all of a sudden he runs right back at me and he runs to the brush. That's right in front of me at like 75 yards lays down. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, Hey, if a standing shot at 150 was too much, I'm going to give you a laying down shot at 75. Yep. So I literally put it like, two feet below his belly and I ended up punching him like perfectly, uh, ended up killing him right there in his bed. And, uh, that was, that was that. Dude, uh, so, so you compensated the, for what yeah. you saw before. So you were, you were pretty confident in like what you had seen as far as where you hit over the deer. Oh yeah. Cause oh, I can man. dial this. I mean, this rifle I've, I've shot this rifle. I mean, it's just a Browning, uh, old Browning a bolt. Um, I have a different stock on it, a decent skull, but I, I can shoot this rifle at 300 and, and really hit a target. Um, not the best shot in the world. I will be the first one to say that. And I know my friends, if they hear this, they will, they'll be chuckling when I say I can hit 300, <laughs> but, uh, I was confident this rifle and I, I kind of just put it all together in my head real quick and was like, I gotta, I gotta aim low. Yeah. And, Thankfully it worked out, but, um, so ended up doing the picture thing. Uh, I ended up cutting and quartering this thing cause I had to get it across the river. Um, I didn't, I wasn't going to do a shoulder mount. So I just had the head with me, all the meat. I ended up putting all in the backpack, one trip in it to where I had crossed the river. And I was like, I can't get all of this meat and everything, all my gear across this river in one trip. It's ripping. Um, so I take half of, I take the head, one of the quarters out, leave my boots and my gun on the one side of the river. And I take everything else with me, put my waders on, got my trekking poles in my hands. And, uh, 
I, I, right when I put my foot in the water, I can feel my boots start slipping because the current's so strong. And I'm literally like, but I'm thinking, all right, just don't panic. And I'm using my trekking poles to kind of brace myself. Um, but the more time I spend in this deep water, the more time I feel, I can feel myself slipping and I can't really like turn around to go back to shore. Yeah. So I, I just kind of pushed on, pushed on, pushed on. Well, uh, I ended up overtopping my waders. Um, the backpack at this point is getting wet because I'm losing my balance and the rocks are literally, I can just feel myself like just slipping down the river and trying to grab anything I can. And like waders are getting full, um, panicking, even though I'm trying to tell myself not to panic. And like, right as I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm toast. Uh, I ended up kind of like feeling the, the rocks getting shallower and I just kind of clambered up on there. Um, dude. Yeah. So that's, that's round number one, because I told you I left everything else over there. Yeah. (laughs) So the, the story that's on my Instagram was actually from round number two, because I, because I had to do it again. Okay. So how shook are you then at this point? Cause like, Oh, I took me, it took me an hour and a half, two hours to go back to get, get balls enough to go back across. So how, what, what gear was left across the river? Because at this point I'm thinking about cutting my losses and getting out of here with my buck and my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. my rifle. That's oh, a big okay. One. Okay. So the uh, rifle was left brand, brand new pair of crispy boots, which whatever, you know, that's nothing, but the head and another quarter. And oh, okay. I don't know. Um, I, I ended up, it's starting to rain. It's starting to get colder and I'm mean, like, big thing was like rain and my rifles over there. Um, and it's, a, it's a rifle. It's like I said, it's nothing special, but it's a rifle I bought from a buddy's dad. You know, my first rifle I ever bought, yeah. you know, it came from his family. It was actually his grandpa's rifle. Um, so it's got a little bit of, you know, um, it's, it's got a little bit of meaning, yep. but yeah, I actually drove up and down the river, tried to find a safer spot to cross, called called the rancher that was right there to see if he knew of a better place to cross. Thought about, well, I could go get a pack raft or a little like floaty or something and kind of like shoot, you know, shoot down the river and kind of uh, make a, a projection of where I want to land. And there was no options, really. Um, you know, I'm two, three hours away from a store, a Walmart or anything that's going to get me any type of floating device. So I decided to put on new gear and, um, just go, go for it. And I made it most of the way the second time, just by not panicking and telling myself to go, you know, take my time and feel for the rocks. But I don't know, just, it was worse the second time. Uh, the the pack ended up getting wet the head and the quarter got wet that kind of ended up throwing me to the side and as i'm trying to like i'm getting pushed with my feet down river um i'm literally grabbing for rocks like with my hands in the water Uh like trying to because my head is getting pushed underwater because i have this pack on and yeah i i ended up hitting a little sandbar and somehow i'm still still here um yeah not many people know there's there was a there was a round two (laughs) yeah holy cow man so as you look back on that like what would you do different or would you just go find a different deer because you're by yourself man. i mean different deer but it's like at the same point that there was a reason nobody that there's reason that deer was there you know he was a he's probably a three, four year old whitetail, yep. which is pretty good in, in the Rocky mountains. Right. Um, you gotta go hunt that deer. Yeah. You just gotta have a safe opportunity for it because we all, we all think about those, those scenarios where it's like you killed that nice deer because you went and you thought outside the box. Right. Um, have either a boat or have a little pack raft or something where you could at least get across the river by yourself without any weight have a rope, pull it across, have some option. Um, yeah, I, I now know I've actually talked to a couple of people who have some experience on that river and they're like, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> I would have never, I would have never done that. They're like, Oh um, yeah, that river. Don't do it ever yeah. again. Well, what's crazy about it is most of that river is like this deep, you know, it's like a foot deep. Oh, no kidding. 
but there's just those deep spots and it's a lot of water rushing down that river. It's a lot of water. Um, so it's just, it's got a high flow rate and that's the reason, um, it's, it's gnarly. So dude, well, glad you made it out, man. Like I was, so you posted to Instagram, I think when you got to that spot earlier in the day, like before the buck ever stood out and kind of in like said like, Hey, in here for the buck. And then I think the next picture was just like an empty shell casing. Yep. And I was like, what? This happened already. So you shot him pretty early yeah. in the yeah, day. Yeah, I shot him at like three, 2 or 3 in the afternoon, I think. Yeah, so it's like, holy cow, this guy's already got it done. And then I found out you almost died. So it's like, okay, this is a, this is a story that <laughs> I feel like I need the rest of. So, dude, glad you're okay. Uh, glad that I can learn a little bit from your experience because I have yet to head out west for anything. And... Uh, overestimating my stream or river crossing abilities is something I would definitely do. Oh, we uh, all would here in, you know, Wisconsin, oh. like, uh, or even the Midwest in general, like we go across rivers and, you know, I'm a duck hunter. I've been in the Mississippi, you know, I've been anywhere, you know, yep. I've jumped in the water to do whatever. I, I just totally, yeah, totally just the, the flow is, was a major factor. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. Dude. Need some little more thinking outside the box. Like I said, a pack raft. I, I don't care. A little inner tube, something, um, a boat. <laughs> yeah. So all right, that's man. The tough part. I literally, I spend a lot of time hunting by myself. Um, I do. It's not some, I mean, I I'll do it. I'll go do it. I enjoy it. I want to want to be able to hunt as much as I want or fish as much as I want. And not all my friends and family have, the time that I do because of the, you know, they're, they're in a standard nine to five vacation, all of that stuff. Right. Um, it, like, I I think we were talking earlier. I'm, I'm not surprised being out there by myself. I'm, I'm very, usually very safe. I carry a Garmin with me. I check in with people, tell them where I'm parking my truck, you know, do all the stuff that's smart because I know I'm by myself. Um, but at the same point, I knew at some point something like this might happen because I, you're in the wilderness. You're, it's a totally different world. You know, you're getting out of your comfort zone. And that's one thing I really like about hunting out West is getting outside your comfort zone. So, yeah. Are you going to, has this prompted you to change anything? Like are you saying now, like I will have a a pack raft in my truck at all times. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think I've, it's just more gear. I, I hate to say like, I don't yeah. want to pack any more gear, but yes, things like that would be nice to have. Um, and just set second guessing some of my go after it attitude, maybe yeah. <laughs> slowing down just a little bit. Yeah. Just, yeah. just a slight bit, not maybe a percent or two. <laughs> yeah. You need to work on a weapon with like a grappling hook so you can just shoot the deer from across the river and then drag him. You know what I mean? There, so there you go. If you can get that there figured out, that'd be great. So, <laughs> well, man, yeah. what what's next on the horizon? I mean, it's it's hard to top that kind of a fall. It is. Um, you know, I it's been really it's been it's been tough since I've been home. Honestly, I I've been getting caught up on a bunch of stuff. Work I'd promised to people, and work is just piling up. Normally, by this time, I'm I'm going ice fishing. The weather here in Wisconsin doesn't really have me motivated to ice fish right now. Um, I've gone a little bit. But by this time last year, I was already up in on Lake Superior, you know, ice fishing. Um, but we've had such a tame, tame winter right now that it's been it's been tough. Um, and I'm trying to get all this work done. So next on the horizon, I will be taking a, a fishing hiatus for a good month, month and a half. Um, I'm going to try and make it to northern Minnesota. I'm going to try and make it to Canada. Those are two places on my list that I haven't fished yet. Um, well, I, I fished the Boundary Waters last year. I'd like to do that again. Um, maybe make it out to Fort Peck, Montana to fish lake trout out there. Um, and then probably another Colorado, um, late season ice fishing trip with some friends. That's the initial. And then some more pound of nails and hopefully Canada or Alaska again. I don't think I'll drive again though. Um, I'll probably book a flight, go up there for a little bit and hopefully get on another fishing boat. Um, I don't know if I'm going to hunt or not this year up there. Um, and then I'm going to try and get back for archery season guiding in Montana. And then I'm going to chase my own tags for rifle season. I think I'm going to do Colorado rifle, um, uh, for, for elk, 
hopefully I have a Montana elk tag and I can do some archery hunting myself on my off days. Uh, that would be really nice. And then um, gonna gonna kind of start there. I just actually talked to a guy about a future potentially a future uh, New Zealand DIY red stag hunt. Holy um, smokes! It's something in the books. Uh, I, I just it's real initial right now, but it's it, that was that was one thing that kind of drove me to to do a lot of this that I found out you could DIY red stag hunt, uh, in New Zealand. So dude, no kidding. Yeah. Like that, that's nuts. Uh, yeah. how, how are you going to get your truck over there? Uh, I'm going to have to leave <laughs> the truck here. I have to take one of their, their buggies over there. I, yeah. I think they call them, but yeah, uh, he's got a connection over there. Uh, going to start just kind of talking about it. It's a, it's more of a 20, I think it's a 2024 hunt or a 2025 hunt. So, just constantly thinking about the next adventure. Yeah, man, that's awesome. All right, so if folks want to keep up with you as we're looking at 2023, 2024, where can they find you? Uh, all the social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, also on Facebook as well. Um, but the first three are probably my primary um, social medias. So check me out on there. Uh, got a website as well, uh, free to prowl dot com and you guys can look at uh some of the bio some links to other stuff um some merch if you're interested but yeah just uh if you guys are if you heard me on the podcast yeah don't feel feel free to send a message um i always like talking to people you know if you got questions or insight or whatever on anything i i just like to i like to chat the outdoors all the time so yeah and if you've got a primo spot for adam to come hunt let him know <laughs> Right. <laughs> or another adventure. I like, I like uh, chasing different species. So I'm all about uh, making those connections and uh, meeting new people all the time. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Adam, thanks for your time tonight, man. Thanks for coming back on the show and looking forward to keeping up with you in the year ahead. Yeah. Appreciate it, Josh. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.